and welcome. This is Frances Harry. Thanks for joining us for our Carmelite Conversations. We're in the midst of a series called Exploring Contemplation with St. John of the Cross. We're using Father Donald Haggerty's book, St. John of the Cross, Master of Contemplation, as the springboard for our conversations. Last time in the fifth part of this series, we talked about the signs St. John of the Cross gives us to indicate when we are to leave discursive meditation and enter into a more passive, receptive state for the gift of infused contemplation. If you missed that program, you may find it at www.carmelightconversations.com. Today, in part six of the series, we will focus on what one should do as the flame of love begins to burn in the soul through the grace of the beginning of contemplative prayer. And to help me, I'm so thrilled to have with me again my dear friend and fellow Discast Carmelite, Deacon Mark Danis. Hello, Deacon Danis. How are you? Hi, Francis. Nice to be with you again. Looking forward to our conversation as always. Well, I know you have done spiritual direction with a lot of souls, and I'm sure you've been helping them um, in this process of growing in prayer and union with God through contemplative prayer. So I'm really looking forward to your insights today and your commentary on what Father Haggerty also shares with us about our great saint, St. John of the Cross. But as always, I would like to begin with an opening prayer. Would you please lead us? Certainly. Let's recollect ourselves, bring ourselves before the Lord, dispense with all those distractions to the best of our ability, and begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we call down your Holy Spirit. We call down the Spirit of fire, Spirit of love. We ask, Lord, that you fill us most especially with an ever-burning desire for this encounter, for this process of purification. The wisdom, knowledge, and understanding we gain will be beneficial. But our ultimate call, Lord, is to simply abandon ourselves to you. And so as we listen to the words of this great teacher of our church, help us to adopt and adapt them to our individual circumstances in a way that is most pleasing to you. We ask the intercession of St. John of the Cross, of our Blessed Mother, of our guardian angels. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, well, thank you, Mark. And we have much to go through today. So um, this is uh, where the soul is at this time. They have recognize some of the signs um, of St. John of the Cross that they're being called to this gift of infused contemplation. They can't pray like they used to. Um, they may have some kind of aridity. They can't focus on, on um, you know, the the points of prayer like they had before. They just, they just want to be with God. So um, help us out here and get us started on what the soul should do during this transition period? Well, you mentioned uh, the work I know we've both done in uh, spiritual direction with a number of souls. And I think we would agree this is the stage um, in the spiritual journey where the most difficulty and perhaps uh, the greatest risk 
is encountered because there is a change here. Things do not remain as they were. And you even began your comments with the observation quite correctly that uh, meditative prayer, the method that we had previously used, we will discover is no longer appropriate, uh, not in fact even possible. We, we will find ourselves unable to uh, muster the imagination and the um, the various um, techniques that we've used in the past to get ourselves through that necessary, but nonetheless uh, now um, inappropriate uh, approach to encountering God. And Father Haggerty himself says, this is not a matter of adopting a particular method. In my own words, that was true before, but we're moving away from that. Rather, again, in Father Haggerty's words, it is about growing accustomed to a different inner ambiance of soul in prayer. You know, I confess, I went and looked up the word ambiance. He even put it in italics. I know what it means, at least I thought I did. And I'm not sure I would have used that particular word in this context, but um, it does uh, refer to the setting, the um, sort of the environmentals, the, the context, I've used that word many times, uh, for our prayer. And I think in that respect, it, it, it's uh, certainly applicable, if not maybe the first choice I would have made for a word there. But um, it, he is trying to help us understand that it isn't just our approach, hence the dispensing with methodology, but it is our disposition that matters most here. How are we approaching prayer? You know, again, the analogy to relationships, human relationships, I think is appropriate. You know what it's like to have been in relationship, Francis, with somebody on a very intimate level for many, many years. And I'm sure that you and your husband, Doug, who I know well, um, have the same experience as my wife, Becky, and I, that at this stage of our lives, we don't have to say everything, right? Some things can be communicated with a look, both uh, one of a desire for the other to do something or just to communicate love and and a willingness to want to be with that person. Not everything has to be spoken. So dispensing with this idea of formal language, methodology, um, uh, a step-by-step -step approach, it is just being in the presence of God and wanting to be there and wanting uh, God to know of our deep desire to be with him. He's going to respond in later chapters uh, to that in, in many ways. But uh, the important thing here in uh, Father Haggerty's words, again, remaining in a receptive state of quiet without labor or um, of interior mental activity. The soul does not want to get in the way here. The, the actor, that being us, in, in this uh, particular um, phase of prayer has to remove itself. Um, what is it uh, John the Baptist said? Uh, John the Baptist said, uh, he must, uh, what, what's the term he uses? He must increase, I must decrease. That's what's happening here. That's exactly what's happening in, in, in this particular phase. We have to sort of step back and not be such an active player in the um, the, the uh, next act of this play, uh, but recognize that the star is going to play a more prominent role now uh, in, in the following uh, stages of, of our spiritual development. So in actuality, our prayer um, 
at one time was very intellectual thoughts, um, insights, uh, things you would write in your journal. Then it would have transitioned maybe into more of an effective uh, feelings, uh, affections of love, expressing them to a, a simple, uh, uh, more simple prayer. But but here now it is it is that longing for God and not wanting to know about him, but wanting to be with him, like you said earlier, to be with God. That is right. the key, I think. And right. this um, this silence, um, yes, outwardly, but now, as you're saying, more inward silence is filled with that loving attention toward God in a very peaceful, relaxed state, would you say? Yes, and silence is a good word. I'm actually reading a book, I'll share it with you later, uh, on those 11 stages of silence that you and I are both familiar with. Um, but um, it, it is practicing you know, the silence of sound, of, of words, of the senses, of the imagination, of the heart, all of those. Um, all of those have to come into conformity. And the question is, Perhaps anyway, on the part of our listeners, why? What? Why? Why is this necessary? Remember what we said in an earlier conversation. God is moving His work, His transformative work, from the exterior to the interior. He's trying to move through the way that we normally encounter Him, the way that we normally engage Him, the way that we would communicate back to Him. All of that has to be silenced put to sleep, if you will, so that he can move to the deeper interior um, where the healing really needs to occur within our spirit, uh, not just in our intellect, memory, and will from an exterior standpoint. Now, there are times, and Father Haggerty even cautions us on this. Um, no, go ahead. I see you want to make a comment. I'm just going to say to our listeners, you probably heard the roar of an airplane go over and I live near an Air Force base, and it sounds like they're doing drills. And so if you hear this roar <laughs> while we're recording this podcast, um, it's it's not your equipment. <laughs> it's on, on my end, so I apologize. <laughs> so, okay, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want no, to... No, no, quite all right. Um, I, I just want to caution our listeners, even uh, St. John of the Cross, and of course, by virtue of that, Father Haggerty, uh, do remind us, there may be times in this transitional phase, I don't want people thinking, oh, okay, I'm done with all that thinking now. I don't have to read anymore. I don't, I just go sit in the dark in the chapel. No, you have to be called to this. We went through this in our last conversation. If you need to um, replay that, I, I, I encourage it. But there are very specific um, criteria that lead you to the understanding that this is now where the Lord is calling you. That doesn't mean, and we said as much in the last conversation, Francis, that there won't still occasionally be those times where we sort of need to, you know, um, lift ourselves up a little bit, move ourselves a little bit down the path by exercising the imagination a little bit and moderate forms of meditation, simple reiteration simple phrases are good here reminders that jesus loved us that loves us and that he's calling us and that um we we uh, have this eternal destiny these are things that have been well seated through years we think of meditation but it's okay to reaffirm that in this uh, stage as we make this transition 
So, um, Father Haggerty does go into describing some ways that we can enter into this inner quiet that is um, more receptive to the grace of infused contemplation. And so I wanted to list them for our listeners. I I thought it was good that he uh, did that. This is things that the soul can do to open themselves up um, to receiving this gift. For example, um, the first one is maybe repeating a short sacred phrase such as uh, the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or maybe a um, verse from a psalm or looking in silence at a holy image. I remember I had um, a priest talk to me about what we called the headshot prayer. And you'd get a picture of Jesus or the Blessed Mother that was just of their face so that you could look into their eyes and then you would peer into their eyes and, you know, see the speck in the middle of their eye, you know, and and sense that the love of Jesus or Mary, whoever you're looking at, would come through their eyes and you were receiving it. I And I really liked it. It was the headshot prayer. And then um, Father Haggerty also says um, you might want to look at a statue or a crucifix. Um, or gaze with love toward the tabernacle in silence. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, I'm not doing anything when I do that. Do you know how hard it is to quiet yourself? <laughs> so it's accomplishing a lot to um, become uh, habitual in controlling the outward silence, but in particular, the inward silence. Because once you have the inward silence, you don't think the outward silence bothers you so much. Right. Yeah, those are all good examples. And they still lead us into this state of quiet and uh, receptivity, uh, disposing ourselves for uh, this encounter without, you know, sort of actively engaging. And again, <clears throat> Father um, Father Haggerty says, quoting John, frankly, as long as one can make discursive meditation and draw out satisfaction, one must not abandon this method. Um, not entirely, but but you'll sense when it is moving you along. But there's something else that's happening here. And he quotes John of the Cross again, the latter part of uh, a paragraph from The Dark Night. Um, he says, at times, a flame enkindled increases to such an extent that the soul desires God with urgent longings of love. I think Father Haggerty put this here to remind us what it is that we're moving towards. Yes, we've had all this preparation to get ourselves here, Francis, we've talked about that. And now we're being told, okay, abandon that sort of crutch that you've had of meditation to the extent that you can. You may still need to lean on it a little bit. But why are we doing it? I said we're moving from the exterior to the interior, but for what purpose? God is going to infuse his own love within us. The work of purification at this deeper level within our spirit is not something we can affect ourselves. We can modify our behavior. We can practice virtue. We can be patient and kind in those circumstances that may call for it. But this is now moving to a purification of our spirit, which is something we're not, one, sufficiently sensitive to its deficiencies, and two, not in a position adequately to be able to 
bring about the transformation. So I think Father Haggerty gives us this little insight that don't forget what you're moving to. God is going to infuse the very fire of his love within you, and he's got to make you a um, sufficiently worthy, it's an appropriate term, and purified vessel to be able to receive it. And so he gives us this little line from John, uh, I think, as an encouragement. And then he goes on and gives us this analogy of the boat, Francis. I'd like you to to go ahead and share that uh, with our listeners. I think that's a, a very um, good way for us to think about it. I applaud Father Haggerty for his use of that analogy. Yes, this is a, an example of a boat uh, that is released. So this is what happens in the early experience of contemplation. You're you're letting the boat go uh, from the shore. It's it's being let go out into the water um, from what ties it, so then it can drift. So this is. To me, this really is a good example of how the soul um, surrenders to God. It lets go of the control and lets God take over. Um, And the more uh, the soul can do this, uh, the better, the more receptive they'll be. I've also seen it um, written in other books. Um, There was a book by James Ken. Um, the practice of contemplation according to John of the Cross. And he's talking about um, just floating on the water and let it taking taking you wherever it will, or um, just sitting in the sun and receiving the rays of the sun. Um, and that's a very, because you can't make the sun shine on you, um, but you can um, get in the sun and receive it. And I, I like those analogies. He he provided more in um, his book, James Kin. Yeah. Um, but yes, this if if we can think of letting that drift along, or or being a leaf along the river, flowing down the river, wherever it'll take you, um, yeah. that you are being supported and carried by God. Um, and he does say, uh, uh, consistent with his analogy regarding the need for perhaps some meditation. Still, he does say. The oarsman may need to, you know, engage for a few moments to get it off the shoreline, so to speak. You all know we've all launched a boat and you stick the oar in the mud and you push off and then you have to row out a little bit. But eventually uh, the current of the body of water is going to take over and it's going to take you out. If it's a sailing um, vessel, then, of course, the wind takes over. I like that analogy, too, um, that we get out, we host uh, hoist the sail, but thereafter we sort of let, you know, um, the, the wind take us where it will. And I, I think those are both good analogies. And just to be, you know, sort of very practical, imagine you've sat down now in a chapel and it's your intention to be in prayer 30 minutes. Well, for the first five minutes or so, get yourself off the shore. Maybe you use the gospel of the day. Maybe you use that crucifix or the tabernacle that Francis described, but that just gets you out into open water. And thereafter, you kind of let the Holy Spirit take over. The and main I- thing, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think the some of the main things a, a soul is experiencing is peace, quiet, silence. And of course, the most critical component is love, receiving God's love and responding with love. Yeah. And and John of the Cross says it's important here. Now, we, we absolve folks of the need for perhaps a little bit of meditative work, but it's important not to use the faculties of the intellect, memory and will. Don't let your brain take over 
you know, Teresa used to use that analogy of the horses that that drove her out uh, of prayer. Don't allow ourselves to be assaulted by memory. And memory, again, that larger context of everything that's happened to us. And will, meaning I want to make this happen. I'm going to I'm going to bring this about. The only way to affect uh, the use of these intellect, of course, faith. I am there in faith. Memory is hope that the encounter will happen. And the will is simply love. And Francis said it already. It's love, but it's also infused with a great desire. We have to have a great desire for this to happen. Now, we can engender this desire only to some extent. I don't want us, you know, sort of creating it, mocking it up, so to speak. Um, The desire has to be, this is what I want to have happen more than anything else that I want to have happen over the course of the next 30 minutes, if that's your scheduled time for prayer. There's no other place I'd rather be. I say this many times, Francis, I'll confess, in the middle of the night when I'm awakened to, to prayer, I say to the Lord, there's no other place I'd rather be right now, Lord. I don't want to be out you know, doing any other activity. I don't need to be sleeping. I want to be with you. And it's a, it's good for us to make that statement, even verbally. I don't waken my wife when I do it. I'm quiet enough that I don't uh, rast her out of her sleep. But I, I want to say it because I know the Lord already knows it. I need to say it because I want to you know, be affirmed in the fact that that is where I want to be. And so this is what we mean by the desire. Express your desire that this is where you want to be more than any other place and doing this more than any other activity you could be involved in. So, of course, um, the great need is to surrender to God and to let go. And um, then the soul will experience being drawn into the Lord's presence more and more. And we often talk about um, infused knowledge. Can you speak to that? Because, you know, we're not talking about our intellects trying to learn things or think things, but there is a knowledge that um, is important here. Can you speak to that, please? Yeah, um, Father Haggerty says this very well. It is not a knowledge that is carried back outside of prayer for the sake of, you referenced this earlier, Francis, a journal entry, documenting something, uh, you know, being able to lock it in with my intellect. The knowledge in contemplation is is bestowed by this inclination to love. It doesn't come by thinking about love, but in the simple awareness of a longing to love. Again, the word desire, equally appropriate here. Contemplation, according to St. John of the Cross, is nothing else than a secret and peaceful and loving inflow of God, which if not hampered, fires the soul and the spirit of love. So you see, we've disposed ourselves. We've pushed off that shore. Our boat is free to roam. And God takes over. How does he take over? By infusing little by little his own love within our heart. And then we are captivated by that. And we simply become the receptacle. We become uh, the one who is love. This is what we begin to experience. Yes, we have the work to have put ourselves there. But now we are on the receiving end. And so the knowledge is not a knowledge uh, of Um, an intellectual understanding of who God is and the fact that he loves me. Yes, those are all true, but it is a knowledge of love. The highest uh, knowledge, the highest degree of understanding is to know that we are loved and to love in return. That's what um, John is referring to. And that's what Father Haggerty is elaborating on here. 
Now, Mark, you gave us the definition of contemplation that John of the Cross teaches, and that it's a classic quote. So if you wouldn't mind, would you please repeat it? Because um, this is such an important quote to understand what contemplation is. Yes, I'll repeat it and then and let me elaborate. You can certainly um, um, add color commentary to that, Francis. For contemplation, according to John of the Cross, is nothing else than a secret and peaceful and loving inflow of God, which, if not hampered, fires the soul in the spirit of love. So I emphasize, we are receiving here. We had to dispose ourselves. There's a great deal of purification that's gone on, a great deal of confusion that's been removed. But now God is moving to our interior. He's communicated objectively, intellectually, that he loves us. But he's moving to the interior in a way that we will know him beyond even our ability to describe it. Both John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila say this. We won't be able to name it. We won't be able to explain it. But we will know it in a way that we would know uh, beyond intellectual understanding anything uh, that we might have a firm grasp of with our brain. This contemplation is nothing else than the secret, peaceful, loving inflow of God. So God is the actor, and we are receiving it. We are being transformed by it, as long as, to reemphasize his point, we don't hamper it. We don't try to push the boat back on shore or dip the oars in the water and take off in whatever direction we may have decided we want it to go. So we have mentioned... Um, the importance of the passivity of the soul. Um, and some people might take that the wrong way. Would you care to, to share with us the difference between, um, a negative type of passivity versus the kind that we need here to be receptive to God? Yeah. yeah it's a good caution because there are people who've said, in fact, some, uh, who I provided uh, spiritual direction on this very subject to, can be confused by thinking, oh, so I just sit there and do nothing. I'm just sort of a lump, you know. You just want me to shut everything down and and just kind of be. That's not actually an entirely bad approach because uh, <laughs> the Lord will take over. But no, no, there is an awareness. Remember, if we're using the word knowledge, there is an awareness. There is a being present to, right? To say I'm a, a, a lump on the log in the pew, um, would not require that we be present to God. There is a being present. There is an expression of a desire that is totally inconsistent with the criticism leveled against a heresy in the faith, by the way, a quietism. Quietism is more marked by the word indifference. I'm indifferent about anything. I'm indifferent about what might happen. We're not at all indifferent. We're full of desire. We're full of desire for this encounter, but we are allowing the encounter to happen at God's initiation. We are placing ourselves before him. We desperately want it to happen, but we're not going to try to make it happen. We're not going to use our intellect, memory, or will to create something that is of our own creation. We are going to allow God to be the actor. The passivity stressed by John has to do with the withdrawal from any active pursuit of knowledge or an experience. Active receptivity is what is necessary for prayer here. And I think a big difference here, when a soul is making the effort to become receptive, that um, if they're focusing on themselves and, 
what do I got to do? And how would I got to be? And, you know, it's me, 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 instead of the God. So, you know, directed, uh, you know, that's an important distinction. And also in, in this um, kind of loving attention, it is about relationship. It's not about um, making self um, some kind of God with a little G, yeah. uh, elevating self into some kind of um, quiet that is self-induced, that yeah. has no direction other yeah, than I, self, you know, because we, we can try to make ourselves, you know, there's a, there was a time in businesses where they would want people to go into these rooms and get quiet but but it wasn't dealing with a relationship with God at all. It was just to, you know, train themselves to focus better kind of thing. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I do. And I like what you said at the very beginning, especially when you said it's about focusing on the other, being uh, inclined toward the other. All of what we've done up to this point, uh, again, through meditation, through vocal prayer, through our reading and our study, that did have to do with preparing ourselves, getting ourselves you know, ready for this. And it was somewhat focused on self and much of our prayer, unfortunately, um, for, for many people is. But here we're saying, no, be wholly focused on the other. I am communicating to God my desire for this encounter, but I'm not going to bring it about. I'm not going to make it happen. I'm not setting the standard by which it will happen. Um, what I'm after is a, a, a desire and the communication of that desire, a predisposition to receive, but making clear to God and to myself, I think it's appropriate that we communicate this to ourselves. There's nothing I desire more than this encounter with God, so much so that I'm no longer going to try to bring about um, the the uh, outcome. I've set the stage and, and made myself available. Father Haggerty uh, takes a moment here, and I think it's important that we emphasize this, not to criticize different schools of prayer, but he does mention centering prayer. And there are some uh, misinterpretations of what, in many respects, could be a good technique, centering prayer. Uh, but he draws this caution. He says, the effects of centering prayer are generally sought as a goal in and of themselves, making it a self-oriented pursuit. And I remember reading in some of the early literature of centering prayer, oh, I can sit down and in 15 minutes I can be in centering prayer. Well, that's setting the stage. That's that's saying I'm I'm the, the lead actor here and I'm going to determine, you know, wh when this is going to happen and how it's going to happen. And, um, and, and it's very much focused on uh, the self. Uh, this person would not be turning with loving attentiveness to God, but rather descending into a progressive exercise exercise of self-absorption. And so we want to be careful about that. This is about um, letting God be the actor, but letting him know that we want his action. We want him uh, to um, uh, communicate with us, to to bring about this encounter, uh, which we ourselves are not going to attempt to bring about. Instead, really, our loving attentiveness to his presence is what we are focused on. And I'm really glad you used that term absorption, because that's the term that St. Teresa of Avila uh, uses, um, especially in like the fourth through the seventh dwelling places or mansions of the interior castle, where um, somebody can be 
um, so absorbed in their own thoughts or feelings that um, she says they're, you know, they're they're wasting away in this absorption. They're not having true prayer. Um, so um, I'm glad you mentioned that word for for those who uh, know Teresa's work. That's that's the word she uses. So um, how do you recognize um, the genuineness of a true contemplative grace? Well, I think um, by that inward surrender um, and that desire to be quiet and have a true longing for God and in and in that loving exchange, right? Yeah, and you used a, a, another good phrase early on when you brought about the the uh, you know sort of imagery of a peacefulness should pervade this moment. I should feel very peaceful about the fact that I'm not taking charge. I'm not doing anything, but yet I feel like I'm praying. Right? I feel like I'm actively in prayer. There is uh, also some misinterpretation where people say, "Well." Oh, just get there and just, you know, just sit there and don't worry about it. No, 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 no. We have to be actively engaged to the extent that we desire and we want this to happen. But we should feel a pervasive peace about the fact that we don't have to make anything happen. And don't set expectations. Again, don't don't determine where that boat's going to go. Just make yourself available. Have that desire. Communicate that desire. But know that God is the actor here. He's already given you the criteria that we discussed earlier. And so you know that this is the time for this transition. And we we re-emphasize that loving attentiveness then to the presence of another replaces the thinking and the imagining. So you're, you're away from the intellect, past the heart, into this being with which right. I think is so important. And and I know Father Haggerty, and and I know we weren't necessarily going to discuss this, but um, he talks about poverty that's felt in the soul. So I think this is this develops more and more as the soul starts to experience these infused graces of contemplation that they really start to sense their own nakedness and this need for simplicity and the infiniteness of God and the, uh, like you said earlier, he must increase, we must decrease. So seeing themselves as less and less, um, it, it's that sense of poverty in the soul, but it's a good thing because it's, it's purifying. So um, I just kind of wanted to point that out. It's no, it is a, it is a good thing, and in fact, uh, if I can skip back over to Teresa Avila again, she uses that very word nothingness. We experience our nothingness, but it doesn't lead to despair. It doesn't lead to discouragement. It leads to a peace again, to use that term, about the fact that God desires to replace that and to fill it up. And we know that that work is beginning to happen now. Everything again that we've done up to this point has really, you know led us very um, um, short distances down this path, but it's made clear to God that we desire something more. And now he's going to take over. He's going to take control. Our self-conscious acts to bring this about are what impede now the next phase of this. But it is a realization of our nothingness that you that you so accurately mentioned, um, but but not in a way that brings us down or discourages us. It helps us realize 
there is something wonderful that can fill up that emptiness and I have to make myself available for it. And of course, this reminds me of St. John the Cross saying, nada, 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 nothing, yeah. nothing, nothing, right? Exactly right. Okay, so we, we need to let go and let God. Um, and Father Haggerty, um talks about some of the things that um, he says that there's a, a lack of control that must be accepted on two different levels. So that we don't get in the way um, of this contemplative prayer. Uh, one is the binding of the faculties. Um, and the other was this uh, giving way to a desire of the heart, a desire for the Lord. And um, I think that's important. So can you can you briefly tell us what? This tying down of the faculties means this ligature, because I know some people, when they read other literature, that that word will come up with theologians. Mm-hmm. Um, and like when souls are in ecstasy, like in the sixth mansion and interior castle, that binding the faculties. Can you just give us a little brief snippet of what that means? Yeah, it's actually a, uh, a question I sort of addressed, Francis, in my last presentation to our community when I was talking about St. John of the Cross as the active knight of uh, the spirit, uh, 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 the third of his four stages that has always challenged my own understanding. And I think until you um, sort of get drawn into more of that in your prayer life, it is something that um, it is hard to wrestle with, but the active night of the spirit, what it is that we do um, to uh, dispose ourselves is really what I termed an active passivity. So when we talk about binding the faculties, it isn't so much that we're uh, taking some deliberate step to say, no, I'm going to avoid the use of my intellect, memory, and will. It's more actively um Uh, sort of dispensing with them, looking past them, not allowing them to feed our imagination or to bring about, uh, you know, the sort of things that they did admirably and meritoriously in in the early stages of meditation. They were very much at our disposal and very beneficial to our spiritual growth and to our coming to a deeper understanding of faith, of love, uh, and our hope in God. But now it's an active passivity. We simply allow God's light to embrace us. We don't try to say uh, to ourselves, I'm getting a deeper understanding of God. I, I know now something more about him. We don't, we dispense with all of that. And then we certainly don't try to make decisions about what's next in the uh, stages of prayer that we are uh, being drawn into. So those three steps and allowing ourselves to be embraced by that light, um, not defining God in any way, and not allowing ourselves to be deliberate in our decision-making, bind the faculties that I just described and impede their ability, actually, uh, to um, have any effect on what God is trying to do with us in this stage of prayer. So that binding the faculties is a clear sign that you're being moved beyond that discursive meditation. And there's a quote of John of the Cross that uh, I think summarizes it well. God conducts the soul along so different a path and so puts it in this state that a desire to work with the faculties would hinder rather than help his work. Whereas in the beginning of the spiritual life, 
everything was quite the contrary. Right. And, and again, as further affirmation of this um, binding and the, the willingness to allow ourselves to move down that path, I'd go back to the phrase that you brought up earlier of peace. We feel a peace about it. We feel peace. You know, when we were in meditation before, if we went into the chapel and we're now actively in meditation, we're not being called to this higher level. If we're not engaged, John says, remember this, there are some other things that may be happening, right? You may you may be feeling melancholy or you may have uh, something else going on on a psychological level. But here, the absence of any active engagement, control, to use the phrase you read just a moment ago, brings us peace. I feel more peaceful than I'm not engaged in that activity that it was before active um, meditation or or use of the faculties. And so that's another indication. All right. So this shift from meditation to contemplation um, is really now giving us a different experience of God. Um, Instead of the, you know, the image that we have of God, now we are experiencing him in a different way. It's subtle. It's delicate, especially at the beginning. Um, and it's uh, teaching us a different way to know God. So he's revealing himself in a new way beyond those sensory faculties, um, beyond the intellect, memory and will. Um, which now they need to be purified in order to be open to his to God's spirit, right? Right. And again, I want to be clear, we have the desire, but the love is actually being infused by God himself. He's actually working to transform our love. We are the recipients of that, and that's why the necessity of binding the faculties. Um, and the absence of a direct object of knowledge, meaning something that we could grasp with the intellect, is often accompanied by a sort of vague, indistinct, but nonetheless perceptible experience of the will being drawn into love. So further evidence, it it is knowledge, but we define knowledge with the intellect. It is something I can grasp, I can uh, imagine, I can uh, form an image of and so forth. Here, this knowledge um, is not aided by the intellect. It's vague, it's indistinct, yet it is perceptible. It is perceptible as love. And I know it's difficult. I know, Francis, for you and I to try to explain this, it's difficult for perhaps our audience to, to grasp this, but the principal component of this is love. And everything becomes sort of conformed to that, including our knowledge. In this case, um, what we would otherwise have um, um, grasped through the intellect. Now it is grasped as knowledge in love. And that's the transformation that's taking place. And you, you say, well, it's difficult to grasp. Yes, because we don't create that. We don't generate that. Uh, we don't bring it about. God is doing that. And Father Haggerty goes on to talk about, um, here we've been talking about the intellect and the knowledge. He's going on to say that um, this contemplative prayer um, touches the will more than the intellect. Can you clarify that for us? Yeah, uh, the will, of course, um, is the um, seat of uh, of love, right? The transformation of the will is affected through love, traditional Thomistic 
a theology obviously picked up by John. Our intellect is is purified by faith. Our memory is purified by hope. We won't go into those. But our will, the will, the human will drives every significant human act. I was reading Catherine of Siena just the other day, and God tells her, which is um, largely what the book of the dialogue is, God speaking to Catherine. And he says, everything rests in the will. Everything rests in human uh, motivation, their desire and so forth. And um, perfecting it and conforming it to my will is done through love. God is love. And we love because he first loved us. And in doing so, he transforms us and he begins with the will because the will is the driving force um, in terms of human, uh, all human motivation. And so when our will becomes conformed to love, the, the, the clearest explanation of this, I've used it many times, is imagine the situation where every thought that we have, every word that we utter and every act that we undertake is simply an expression of love. That's where we are moving to. Nothing is is uh, allowed to influence any of those uh, capacities within the human person other than love. And that's what God um, is bringing us to. And only he can do that. We can't do it for ourselves. Okay, so we did talk about... Um... Once the person starts to respond to this grace of contemplation um, and it becomes more prominent, do they dispense totally with meditation? I think you've talked about that a little bit, but let's talk about that transition phase a little bit more so that um, we are um, clear <laughs> when we are yeah. getting the call. Yeah. Remember, we did say to push off the shore, it's still appropriate to use the paddles and the oars to get you out into the water. But um, Father Haggerty says there is usually a need to return at times to meditation. We talked about this before contemplation is more firmly established. But an advancement in contemplation will make discursive meditation more unnecessary over time. The second sign, in fact, of a disinclination, uh, a lack of desire to make use of the imagination, will follow the same pattern. The fourth sign, which he draws from the dark night, um, is this concern for solitude um, and, and a recognition of our personal faults. But nonetheless, those become a difficulty in prayer at this time. And likewise, they'll begin to fade as meditation uh, discontinues and contemplation steadily takes over. So what we were doing in meditation, though we used it in the early phases of the transition, more and more we will find it decrease. Now, listen, there will still be times, even well into uh, contemplative encounters, far along the spiritual journey up into union and so forth, there will be times where we will use our mind, we will use our intellect. The Lord may want to reveal something to us. He may want to solve a problem for us that relates to our circumstances in life. There may be uh, situations where we are uh, assisting others, as you and I so often do, Francis, where meditation is going to be necessary uh, for the Lord to reveal the resolution of a particular issue somebody may be, feel, may, may be dealing with. And as agents of that, uh, we will use all of our capacities. But what he's talking about is our personal, private encounters with the Lord. More and more as we move deeper into contemplation, they will become more interior, 
more quiet, more subtle, more peaceful, and more um, uh, focused exclusively on love and a loving encounter. So the the time period to leave discursive meditation and be solidly into this contemplative prayer could take months. It all depends on the soul and what the what God wants to do with the soul and how the soul responds. But once they are habitually in this uh, receptive state, uh, this loving attention to God, then that's typically the kind of prayer that they would have. Unless, like you said, there were some situations that um, we needed to go back to meditation. I can think of one in particular, like when you're, um, you know, you're really sick and you can't pray like you used to, or you're really stressed out because of something that happened in your life. You mean need to go back and retrack until you feel that pull into that contemplative stance again. But now there's another thing though that is not so transitory, and that is aridity so talk to us about this wonderful grace (laughs) yeah aridity that painful emptiness of feeling in prayer that's quite different um it's not transient at all it uh, tends to remain as a purifying aspect of prayer even long after years after uh our advancement in contemplation in fact saint john of the cross in identifying the early fruits of the contemplative prayer perceives them all as linked to suffering and aridity that continues in prayer, uh, uh, that that moves into the prayer of contemplation. And there are a lot of reasons for this, of course. Um, You know, in this life, we can never uh, um, explore all the depths of of love. We can never be sufficiently purified uh, in our love. And so there will always be this measure of aridity, of dryness, uh, of suffering, suffering, occurred for John and Teresa right up to their last moments on this earth. And so those things will will be with us. We don't have time to explore them now in this conversation, but um, there is great benefit to that level of suffering at that stage of, of prayer. It's only a deepening of the experience of love that both these saints experienced and, and uh, wrote about. But um, it is something that will absolutely be with us but it will be understood as being to our benefit. And so uh, though it may be perceived as as oppressive and a burden, um, trust me, when we're in that phase of our prayer, it won't be uh, experienced that way. Well, you mentioned aridity and you also said suffering, but so I wanted to address the aridity part here. Um, Father Haggerty points out benefits of her aridity. Um, the first of these benefits is a re- more refined knowledge of self and the true misery of self. I was like, yes, <laughs> we, we realize who we are not. Yeah. <laughs> You're not in control. Um, the second benefit is a more respectful approach to the majesty of God. Um, and I think Teresa Vavala is always pointing out this majesty. And I think that's why, uh, castle was such a big image with her um you know this aridity um leaves this void but yet that is still the pull that because the soul's desiring god and and it's like you're you're pulled back but your longing is pulling you forward which is where god is pulling you um so uh 
It helps us grow in a spiritual humility, um, which is very profitable. Um, another benefit um, from aridity is a more habitual remembrance of God and this, you know, not wanting to fall backwards, being very right. concerned about not falling away from God um, and really uh, looking at your life to um, make sure you're um, not putting yourself in near occasions of sin, that you're you're dealing with the temptations in a fruitful way. Right. A, a fourth one is a deeper quality of holy fear of offending God and misusing his gifts. Well, that's something that we don't often think about, misusing his gifts. I always think about people who can sing well, but they don't they don't help the liturgy by singing <laughs> or they they don't um use their their gifts of teaching and yet they're very good teachers. Um Mark, you have a great gift for teaching, uh for your um preaching. Um very gifted and you're using them so well. I'm so thankful that God's given you these gifts to share with us. So um uh it's important for us to to know the gifts because they're not ours, they're God's gifts and we're his stewards using those gifts. So, you know, there's nothing else that appeals to St. John the Cross more than the chance to serve God and, and to love him more. So um, and then the final point that Father Haggerty mentions is he quotes John of the Cross by saying, these aridities then make people walk with purity in the love of God. Yeah. And then he goes on, um, Father Haggerty does, again, drawing from John. The other thing that's going to stay with us, in addition to the aridity and all of the benefits that you just identified that accrue from that, are temptations. In fact, temptations are going to be prevalent. For if a soul, according to John of the Cross, is not tempted, tried, improved through temptations and trials, its senses will not be strengthened in preparation for wisdom. Mm -hmm. so a deeper quality of this holy fear of offending God that you talk about um, is based on those temptations. We will be tempted. Uh, now, there is a point at which Teresa of Avalos tells us um, that Satan himself will actually be more fearful of the soul uh, than the soul would be of Satan, because uh, at that point of intimacy with God, uh, the soul can do great damage to the kingdom of evil. Uh, but up until that point, uh, there are still going to be these temptations that will surface. And, you know, God does it for a number of reasons in his own wisdom, uh, perhaps uh, to unearth something that hasn't been entirely purified within us, but as much perhaps to just keep us humble. You know, you you uh, uh, are very gracious in your comments about um, whatever God may have gifted me with, and you likewise have your gifts from God, and that's all they are, and we recognize it. We we are certainly not the uh, the creators of, of, of these uh, gifts, but nonetheless, um, if we are called to the roles of teaching and preaching and and um, being advisors to other souls, the great risk we all run is losing our humility. And so God sometimes allows us to become subject to temptations uh, to remind us of the humble state that we're in. Um, and so all of this is for our benefit, even though it's experienced as something difficult at the time. And, and this humble state that you speak of, it's like... You know, when the soul was, you know, mastering discursive meditation, doing a lot of 
mental prayer, using their mind a lot or their heart. You know, there is a, a certain, um, you know, feeling that I've excelled. I'm a great prayer warrior, you know. Yeah. <laughs> now, after going through this transition and starting to experience this infused contemplative prayer, um, the soul is now more fearful uh, and disquieted about themselves. And they're lacking now in that self-satisfaction. So they, it leads them to that more pure, humble state, which is the better state. Yeah. In fact, uh, John of the Cross reminds us, in the measure of the degree of love to which God wishes to raise a soul, he humbles it with greater or lesser intensity or for longer or shorter periods of time. So if you're in a state of uh, being humbled recently, take heart because it means God is looking to raise you to a uh, higher level of love and intimacy with him. And doesn't that last... remind you of that litany of humility? Yeah. Of Cardinal Duval? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think the last point we want to close with here, Francis, is courage. Courage takes on a key role in contemplation, especially with regard to this aridity that you mentioned, and an incapacity for experiencing satisfaction in prayer. Uh, Teresa Vavila, of course, used the phrase determined determination. Uh, later in her work, she uses the word courage. Courage is necessary here. It's important, though, for us to keep focused on what is meant by courage and determined determination. It isn't that we are, you know, fighting our way through this and taking it on ourselves and making these things happen as we might so often imagine courage in the context of military conflict or sporting events or what have you. Here, courage is the courage to abandon ourselves, the courage to leave ourselves vulnerable for the work that God wants to do in us. And it's something uh, somewhat inconsistent, I think, with the modern understanding of these phrases, determination and courage. Here it is about um, uh, uh, leaving ourselves open. I use the word again, vulnerable uh, to a work that God wants to affect in which we are now the recipient and the beneficiary, not the principal actor. Well put, Mark. And so I think we've made it clear in these past conversations on contemplation that this is a natural progression of a person in prayer to go through these um, stages of, you know, discursive prayer to effective prayer, to simplified prayer, to this silence to this loving awareness of God and to be receptive to um, the grace of infused contemplation. So this is a normal progression of prayer. This is one thing I think a lot of souls, a lot of people who are praying, they don't understand about uh, degrees of prayer or progression of prayer. So I think it's very important for them to become aware of it because when they start to have these experiences, then they can say, instead of this, oh, no, I've done something wrong, they can start to say, oh, God is pulling me in a different way, and I need to go with him. Let him lead. I will follow, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, imagine nothing in our life is static, you know, whether it's our intellectual pursuits, our physical uh, endeavors and fitness and so forth, uh, music, if we are pursuing uh, musical uh, uh, skills, language, nothing is static. It doesn't, you don't just go to the, a place of engagement, whether it's a gym or a, a, a symphony hall, and do the same thing every day and expect uh, nothing but the same outcome. Why would we imagine prayer is like that? 
Prayer is not about a static uh, sort of state that we just repeat each day. It has the opportunity for progress. I said in an earlier conversation, uh, St. John Paul II's um, encyclical Novo Millennium Iniunte um, is the, the um, best document I found that describes this natural progression in prayer. And he cites um, as models of this, of course, Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, Teresa of Lisieux, and Catherine of Siena um, as, as um, teachers in this regard that uh, one can make progress in prayer. And that's what we're talking about. And that all boils down to a relationship. So to grow in intimacy with God, this is the norm, that there will be changes. And uh, hopefully as the soul responds favorably to God's call, it will lead to this uh, greater intimacy and union um, with the Lord. Well, Mark, um, thank you so much for um sharing with us today and helping us to understand the wisdom of St. John of the Cross, especially in growing in union with God in this life of love through this grace of infused contemplation. And I'm wondering, would you mind uh, uh, leading us in a closing prayer, please? Certainly. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this spiritual conversation, an opportunity to hear the words of one of your great saints, one of the teachers of contemplation, and also giving us the opportunity to respond to this invitation to a deeper intimacy with you. We know, Lord, that this is your work and that you bring about this transformation but we also have responsibilities to dispose ourselves and to prepare ourselves and then to accept this transformation within us. We ask for the grace to do that. We ask most especially for the desire to be inflamed with the fire of love that we might respond to your call. We ask again for the intercession of St. John of the Cross and the Blessed Mother. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much. In our next program in this series, we're going to talk about the purity of the soul that's needed um, for this grace of infused contemplation and maybe some of the challenges that the soul faces. So we hope you'll join us again in the future. And until we meet again, God bless you, keep you, and keep praying.